Amen. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. You may be seated. I'm not going to read right now. Um, but go ahead and turn to Joshua, chapter 24. Uh, and again, it is just a privilege to be here. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. I uh, appreciate Dr. Chapel and the invitation uh, to be with you today. Uh, Dr. Getch and uh, Dr. Rasmussen uh, even had a great uh, time yesterday uh, with lunch with Dr. Rasmussen and uh, Dr. Weaver and his wife. And uh, just a privilege and an honor to be here. And uh, so thank you for the kind hospitality. Great to be able to be with the Missionary Prayer Band last night and to hear testimonies of some that God is uh, calling to missions and uh, praying about what they're going to be doing and meeting others as well. And just being able to share uh, a little bit about what God's done in my life in the area of missions uh, and things. And so appreciate that opportunity. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, I do have to say um, um, to those of you that were in some of my dad's classes and, of course, to faculty as well, my dad wanted to make sure that I uh, greeted everyone. So greetings. There you go, Dad. It's all done. All right. Um, no, he really, uh, he really loved his time out here and uh, just uh, was honored to be able to be here. Uh, I know that was one of the hardest decisions uh, he's made, other than having to come off the field, was to leave West Coast and uh, not to be able to teach missions. But God is still using him, and uh, he's still able to go out and do missions conferences and uh, guest speaking and things like that. And so I hope you'll continue praying for him. Uh, if you get to talk to my dad at all, you know missions is his heart. And uh, most people don't really understand why. Um, I think, well, they think, well, because he was a missionary for so long, and that's true. But most people don't know that my dad actually got saved because of a missionary. If it was not for a missionary going, my dad would have never heard the gospel. And so missions is very dear uh, to his heart. If it wasn't for missions, uh, not only would my parents have not gotten saved, uh, but I would not be here today. And uh, so I thank God for, for missions. I thank God for the emphasis of missions here at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. And, uh, and those of you that are uh, praying about missions, uh, pray harder. <laughs> uh, we need more missionaries. Those of you that surrendered, praise the Lord, and uh, may God bless you for that. Joshua chapter 24. And um, this morning, we're going to be looking at a particular passage of Scripture. I know many times when people think of Joshua chapter 24, they think of uh, verse number 15, which is a very popular verse, and many times you'll see that on people's homes and, and on their doors and things like that. But in the first few verses of Joshua chapter 24, Joshua has led the children of Israel on really a 40-year battle plan. Uh, if you go through the book of Joshua, they go into the promised land, and, um, and really there's just a, it's 40 years of battle. Uh, 40 years of different battles taking place, of course, beginning with that first one in Jericho as they crossed the Jordan River. And, uh, and then just the next 40 years, just battle after battle, trying to conquer uh, the land that God has given to them, uh, city after city. And so Joshua has reached the, the end of his life at this point in Joshua chapter 24 and Joshua chapter 23. And he, he gathers all of Israel together for some final words. And obviously, when we hear the words, uh, final words of great men, those are words that we ought to pay attention to. And in verses 1 through 13, uh, Joshua rehearses all that God has done uh, in, in Israel's life. Uh, he just kind of goes through from the beginning how God had called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and uh, even to Jacob and uh, his sons being brought in uh, and God blessing with Jacob and uh, the 12 uh, sons there and, of course, the foundation of Israel. 
And then uh, going down into Egypt and uh, God delivering them from Egypt and Moses bringing them out, leading them across uh, the Red Sea and that deliverance that God brought there uh, in the land of Egypt. And then uh, from the first battle at Jericho, he talks about how God was the one that was fighting for, for Israel and God had brought them through and uh, was really helping them to conquer uh, the land to all the victories that they have had. And so uh, Joshua is just kind of giving them, if you could almost see it, kind of like a, a pep rally. He's really trying to, to lift them up. He's really trying to encourage them to let them to see all that God has done since God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees to where they were at today. And he's just trying to uh, kind of go back over all that God has done and put the emphasis where it needs to be on God. And I think if you can imagine, as Joshua has all of the people there, as they're listening and they're remembering all of these things that God has done, I think that you can probably maybe see some excitement. Uh, I know that when uh, here at Lancaster Baptist Church, when you have the different anniversary services and, uh, and Dr. Chapel in the church begins to talk about things that have done, God has done in the past, man, there's, there's an excitement about it. Uh, there's an excitement to see God working and God moving and souls being saved and missionaries being sent. And so there's, there's an excitement. And I think you can see the people after hearing Joshua give this amazing speech on what God has done, they're, they're just excited, man. They're, they're thrilled to be thinking about what God has done. And by the way, it is very good to remember what God has done. Don't forget the good things that God has done. Don't forget your salvation. Don't forget how God has worked in your life. Don't forget the, the miracles that God has done because those are the things that really encourage us as we see God has blessed and God has worked. It, it encourages us to, to keep moving forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. I think many here today have probably seen God do some amazing things. You've seen God do some wonderful things in, in your life personally, Maybe in, in your church or maybe here at college, you've seen what God can do and you're here because you want God to use you. I don't think that you would come to a Bible college because you don't want God to use you. You're here because you're learning, you're training. You're praying about what God would have you to do because you want God to use your life. And I look at this group today and think about uh, Dr. R was telling me that there's uh, 500 students on campus and 300 students uh, online. Man, can you think about 800 students, 800 students preparing to serve the Lord. What God could do, <laughs> what God could do with 500, 800 students that are just sold out to God and say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to be used of you to go wherever you want, say whatever you want. God, here am I, send me. And what God could do with an army of 800. If God could use Gideon's 300, I think God could use 500 and 800. Amen. Amen. Yes. It's amazing to think what God could do. And so Joshua is rehearsing all that God has done. And then, of course, we come to the famous verse number 15, right? And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm telling you, that, that speech must have been such a, an encouragement to people, such a resounding speech as Joshua is helping them to remember what God has done. So how does Israel respond 
after Joshua gives them this choice. Hey, hey, you need to serve the Lord. You've got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? How, does, how, do, the, how do they respond? Well, verse 16 tells us, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For he it is, or for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight that preserved us in the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwell in the land. Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. How'd they respond? They said, Joshua, you're right. Man, God has done all these things. And they began to remember. And they said, it was God that did these things. It wasn't in our strength. It wasn't in our power. And they said, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord for he is our God. Sounds good. Sounds like they are in agreement with Joshua, right? No doubt, Joshua, I'm sure as he hears the people say, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm sure Joshua was just excited and thrilled and said, this is awesome. All right, let's pray and let's go. But listen to what Joshua says in verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, ye cannot serve the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Joshua we just told you, we're going to serve the Lord. He is our God. Yes, he's the one that has done all these things. We're going to serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, ye cannot serve the Lord. Why would he say that? Why would Joshua say to Israel, who's just been, man, they've just been encouraged by this great reminder of the goodness and the power and the mercy of God. Why would Joshua say, ye cannot serve the Lord? It's one thing to say something with your mouth, but it's completely different to actually put it into action. It's easy to say with our mouth, we want to serve the Lord. It's easy to say, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. But it's another thing to actually put it into action. I wonder how often we make decisions based on emotion, based on an excitement, without really sitting down and counting the cost of the decision we're making. We can make a decision based on a moving story. We can make a decision based on a powerful message. We can make a decision based even on a song that has been sung. And what a beautiful song they sang. That there's power in prayer in the name of Jesus. And our emotions are high and we often make decisions without ever really intending to follow through. We make the decision, but there's really no intention of following through because we really didn't think about what we're doing. We're just going on emotions or excitement. The reason that Joshua says you cannot serve the Lord, I believe, has to do with the attitude of Israel. The answer that Joshua gives, I believe, shows us the attitude of the people when they said we will serve the Lord. We're going to look at a couple things this morning to see why Joshua said you cannot serve the Lord. Father, I pray that you would just bless, Lord, now as we just learn some principles from your word. Lord, I, what a great group of young people. Lord, that have a desire to serve you. 
Thank you for the teachers that are here wanting to invest in these young people. Lord, to give of themselves so that these young people can be used by you. Well, Lord, I pray this morning that our desire to serve would not just be lip service. Well, Lord, we truly allow it to penetrate into our heart and realize what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And to truly say, you are our God, and we will serve you no matter what the cost. Father, I pray that you just bless now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice what he says in Joshua chapter 24, verse number 19. And Joshua said unto the people, ye cannot serve the Lord. Now watch. For he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. There's three things that Joshua points out to the children of Israel that says, look, if you're going to serve God, there's a couple things you've got to make sure that are right. If you're going to serve the Lord, there's, there's a couple things that you've got to make sure that, that are right with the Lord about. Notice, first of all, he says, you cannot serve the Lord for he is an holy God. He's a holy God. May I say this morning that you cannot serve the Lord if you aren't willing to be holy. If you're not willing to be holy as God is holy, for he says, be ye holy for I am holy. If we're not willing to be holy, if we think the Christian life can be lived without being holy, that we can serve God without being holy. And friend, can I tell you this morning, you cannot serve the Lord. He says he is a holy God. It's not just about saying we're a Christian, but about living the Christian life. We're not saved just to have our sins forgiven, to get a ticket to heaven and then just keep living the life that we want to live. The word holy means to be set apart. I wonder how many of us, when you think about the different gods that Israel had to deal with as they came into the promised land, I wonder how many of us would want a God to answer our prayer the way, the way that Baal answered the prophets on Mount Carmel. Remember how they were praying for hours and hours and hours and Baal never did anything? Even Elijah kind of begins to make fun of them and still nothing happens. Is that the type of God that, that we want to serve? A God that really doesn't hear, that doesn't answer prayer? How many of us would want a God that says, even if you do everything I tell you to do, everything, even if you do everything I tell you to do, I can still send you to hell just because I want to. See, I wouldn't want to serve a God like that. No, of course not. And I'm thankful we don't serve a God like that. But can I tell you, there are many people that do. They serve a God that doesn't answer their prayer. They serve a God that, that they're hoping and trying to, to do something and able to please their God so that they can maybe somehow make it into heaven. But I'm thankful that we have a God that cares so much about us, that loves us so much, that was willing to send his son to die on the cross for our sins so that there's nothing that we could do so that we could have eternal life just because he loves us and gave himself for us. Aren't you glad that our God is different from all these false gods people worship? He is a holy God and his desire is that we be a holy people set apart from the world for him. This is what Joshua is saying. You want to serve the Lord? Then you have to live a holy life. 
Paul is clear about this in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What's it take to be holy? What's it take to be set apart to God? I'm sure you could bring all types of definitions and bring all types of ideas of what it means to be holy and what's, what does it mean to be, to be separated for God. But I think if we could just bring it down into one word, I think the one word that we can see that Paul is saying here and that Joshua is saying, look, if we are going to serve the Lord, there's one thing that we have to get in our mind. We must be surrendered to God. Surrender. Total Surrender. Think about what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's he saying? Total surrender to God. Not my will, Lord, your will. There's a total surrender on our part to say, God, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to do. But at the same time, it's also to say, God, whatever you don't want or whatever needs to be removed from my life, I'm totally surrendered to you, Lord. So whatever needs to be added or whatever needs to be removed, I want to be holy. I want to be separated. I want to be surrendered to God. Look, I'm thankful that we don't have to be perfect to come to God. I'm thankful that he's willing to take us in all of our, in all of our filth and sin and wickedness and save us and give us his righteousness and, and put a, a, a robe of righteousness on us. But once we come to God, he does ask that we live a holy life. You know, the problem with Israel, they weren't living a holy life. You say, how do you know that? Well, notice what he says. Notice the second thing. Not only does he say we need to be holy, but he says you cannot serve the Lord for he is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Do you know that God is jealous? Sometimes we think of jealousy as, as a bad thing. Boy, jealousy, that means you can't control it. No, God is, is jealous. In fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verses 4 and 5, we find the, the context of his jealousy. He says, thou shalt not make into thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. In fact, jealous is actually one of the names we are given of God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 14, he says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. What's he saying? Think about what, what Israel is saying. They're acknowledging that God is the one who gave them the victory, right? They said, yes, we remember God was the one that brought us out and God delivered us through the Red Sea and God provided for us. And so they're, they're acknowledging that God is the one who has given them all of these victories. Yet, what does it say? Notice in verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and, who, and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. 
What had happened? They said, yes, we believe that God is the one, but the problem was in those 40 years as they had entered in, they had gotten away from God. They were serving other gods instead of the one who had delivered them. They were serving other gods instead of the one who had brought them out and fought for them. And this was the choice that Joshua told them. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Who are you going to serve? Why? Because you can't serve God, the God, and all of these other false gods. You can't serve the God and Baal. You can't serve the God and Ashtoreth. You can't serve these gods and still say, I want to serve the Lord. But I'm afraid that's what many Christians are doing. We say with our mouth, we want to serve the Lord. But we serve other gods instead. Do you know what God wants in the life of his children? He wants to be first. He wants to be the most important one. He wants to be the number one priority in your life. And can I say the easiest, one of the easiest places to get away from God is in a Bible college. So great that you have chapel and you get to hear great preachers week after week after week after week. But you know what can happen? It can kind of start getting routine. It can kind of start getting, well, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, Joshua 24. Yep, I've heard that one. Yep, choose you this day. Heard that one before. Heard all these things before. Yep, we just talked about that last week. We were talking about that in class. And we get so casual with the things of God, that now the things of God are no longer really important and first in our life. I wish I could say that all of the young people that I went to college with graduated serving the Lord. But I can't. I wish I could say that that I could go back to to my class and, and all of those that graduated. I wish I could say that half of them We're still serving the Lord. What happens? We say we want to serve the Lord, but we begin following other gods. God God is telling through Joshua, look, I hear you that you want to serve the Lord, and that's great, and that's wonderful, and thank God for it. But look, if we're going to serve God, we have to recognize that we're going to have to be holy. We're going to have to be set apart for God and surrender to God, and we have to make sure that we put God first. He's got to be first in our life. Do you know what God wants? God wants you and he wants me to love him more than anything else. To love him more than anything. I love my wife. She sent me a text right before I got up here. I'm praying for you. She's such a blessing. Met her at college. She's been faithful to me, took her halfway across the world. She's from Indiana, Indiana girl in Africa. Never been to Africa before. But she said, if that's where God wants us to go, I'm willing to go. I love her with all my heart. God's blessed us with six beautiful children. I love them. But can I tell you, my love for God 
must be greater than my love for them. Your love for God must be greater than anything. Is it? Is God so first in your life that just to think, just to think about his goodness, to think about his love, that he would send his son to die for you and me. And thank God we had an opportunity to hear the gospel message and respond. But to think that there are billions of people around the world who've never even had one opportunity. We say the gospel is good news. But can I tell you, the gospel is not good news if you've never heard it. If you've never heard the gospel, how is it good news? And he's told us to go. Look, if, if God's called you to missions, praise God. Get out there and, and, and serve the Lord wherever God calls you. But look, just as you talked about, you've got a, you've got a hunt going on today. And you've got lost people that are come, come in. And, and they need someone to show them the love of Jesus Christ. And to show them that, that God loves them and that you love them. And, and you care about their soul as much as God does. And we get so casual with the things of God. We say, oh, I want to serve God. But God is no longer first. That love is no longer there. To love him more than anything. He says, you cannot serve the Lord. You cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. But notice the third thing he says here. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. The third thing that God says to, through Joshua is that you cannot serve the Lord if you're not willing to be right with God and get sin out of your life. So often we have our secret sins. And we just think because nobody else knows about them, the faculty doesn't know about them. My friends don't know about them. My pastor doesn't know about them. My church doesn't know about them. And as long as we can just keep them secrets, everything will be okay. And we think somehow we can keep trying to serve God and hold on to these sins. Do you see what Joshua said? He'll not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Joshua's not saying that God will never forgive your sins. He's saying you can't just keep living in sin and think that somehow it's going to be okay with God. Think about what he says. Think about what the Bible says in, in the book of Jeremiah. He says, will ye steal, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Did God save you just so that you could keep that secret sin? Did God save you just so you could live for yourself? Did God save you just so that you could say, hey, I get to do what I want to do? Or did God save you so you could use your life for the glory of God? Did God save you that so you could yield your life to him and surrender and say, God, whatever you want, it's yours. Think about what scripture talks about how we are to view sin after we're saved. 
In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 21, through chapter 6, he says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are, and what are those next words? Come on, what is it? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Even later in verse number six, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You think about what takes place at a, at a funeral. I've done many funerals in, in Uganda. I've done many funerals here in America since I've been in the, in the States. When you go to a funeral, you see most of the time there's, there's a casket laid out there in front and, and there's a body inside the casket. And that's a time where family can come and, you know, they, they, they say their goodbyes. And um, we know if, as far as Christians are concerned that they're not there. They're, they're, they're in heaven already and we're going to be with them one day. But I, I've, seen, I've seen people crying. I've seen people mourning. I've seen people fall over the, the bodies of their loved ones just weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. But you know what I've never seen? I've, I've never seen anybody reach into the casket and try to pull that dead body out. I've never seen that before. I've never seen anybody say, okay, hey, we're getting ready to, to, to leave. Okay, let's, let's, pay, let's take the body, let's take the casket, and we're going to put it in my car, and we're going to take it home, and we're going to put it in the living room. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If you know of somebody that does that, you better stay away from them. That'd just be weird. Why? Because the body is dead. You know what's going to start happening to that body? It's going to start stinking. It's going to start decaying. It's not going to be a good sight. It's not going to be a good smell. You know where that body needs to go? It needs to go in the ground. It needs to be buried. You know what happens with so many Christians? We get saved and we thank God we're saved. We're freed from sin. No longer are we bound by sin. But you know what we do? We, we, we go back to the sin and instead of burying it and staying away from it and say, God, I don't want to have any part of that. We go back and we try to get the body out. We, we get the body out. And we start carrying this dead body around with us. Because we, we, man, that, that sin, man, I remember it was, it was kind of fun. And so I want, to, I want to take that with me. God says we're to be dead to sin. Sin is supposed to be dead to us. We're not supposed to go back and try to, to get it out and carry it around. We're supposed to be dead to it. We leave it there. We, we bury it. We put it in the ground where it's supposed to be. And we live a life of righteousness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, what happens to many Christians is we, we try to pull that dead, decaying body out of the casket we say, I'm glad I'm saved and going to heaven, but we carry around a dead body. Some of you may have lost your testimony at work because you're dragging a dead body around. Some of you may have lost your testimony with your family 
because you won't let go of that dead body. All it's going to do is stink and it's going to decay and it's going to make your life miserable. And this is what Joshua is telling Israel. You can't serve the Lord and think that you can somehow keep that sin and keep going and keep serving these other gods and and live however you want to live. He said, I'm glad you have that desire to serve God, but you can't. You can't serve the Lord if you're not willing to be holy. You can't serve the Lord if you're not willing to, to put him first in your life. You can't serve the Lord if you're not willing to let go of those sins and follow the Lord. Put the dead body back in the grave where it belongs. Confess it. Get it right with God. Say, God, I don't want this anymore. I want to be able to serve you with my whole heart. So what happened with Israel? Go back with me in chapter 24. Again, the people said in verse 21, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You're a witness against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now watch verse 23. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you. We've already talked about that, but watch what he says. And incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. He said, it can't just be with the mouth. It's got to be with your heart. And if we're going to serve the Lord with our heart, we've got to get rid of these things. We've got to get rid of these things and serve the Lord with our heart. I know many of you have a desire to serve the Lord, but don't let it just be words. Don't let it just be words. Don't let anything keep you from serving him. Don't just say you're going to serve God. Determine to do it and let God work through your heart. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord, our God, will we serve And his voice will we obey. And you'll find as you go through, you'll find that Joshua encouraged Israel. And throughout the life of Joshua and throughout the life of those, that next generation, you know what happened? The people of Israel served the Lord. They served the Lord. And God blessed and God did amazing things. Man, I I see 500 young people here and just having a desire to serve the Lord. I think, man, God, what, what could you do with 500 young people that would just sell out and say, God, here's my heart, whatever it is that needs to be removed, whatever needs to be taken out, any idols that I've put up, any gods that I'm following that aren't you, Lord, take those out. I want to incline my heart after you. I want you to be first. Total surrender. Can I tell you, if God could take 12 And use those, what could he do with 500? They served the Lord and God blessed them. They got rid of the idols. They surrendered to the Lord. They stopped living in sin. They got their their heart right with God. And they were able to not just say with their mouth, he is our God and we will serve him. But with their heart, he is our God. And I will serve him the rest of my days.